Welcome to Standout Life, a podcast dedicated to living boldly amongst the busyness. My name's Ali Hill, and as a psychologist, it's been my profession to connect with people's stories. And when you think about it, it's the conversations that we have with ourselves and with others that truly shape us. It's through exploring these stories that we start to find a pathway around the magnificent and the remarkable question. So what does it actually take to live a standout life? Throughout this podcast, I sit down with influential women and a few good men and we chat about how they live a life of purpose while still making progress. We dig into their stories, both the successes and the struggles, and in doing so, we get some amazing insights into what it takes to live big and ultimately how they've found the wins in this crazy, busy world. So let's dive deep into what it takes to live a standout life. If you're up for an adventure, then you're going to love this episode where I sit down with the beautiful Sky Anderton. In 2014, Sky was awarded the Telstra Young Business Women's Award for Queensland and has used that platform to really step into who she is as a designer and the owner and founder of Ruby Olive. So Ruby Olive create these beautiful necklaces, they're vibrant, they're colourful, bangles, earrings, um, these jewellery pieces that often I'm seen wearing. I, I absolutely love them myself. Throughout our conversation, we dived into what it means to be creative and Sky unpacks that she believes everyone is creative, so you are, whether you think you are or not, and how important it is for us to find time to to unlock our creativity and express that with the world. She also is very passionate about creating purposeful profit in businesses and how we need to continue to have these platforms for women to support women in business, not only locally, but around the world. Sky is as vibrant as the pieces that she designs and creates and the conversation we dive into everything adventurous, everything creative and how important it is to come back to the focus and being purposeful for the work that you do. The beautiful Sky Anderton. So exciting to have you in studio. <laughs> I under, understand we are like, this is a virgin podcast. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, I've never done a podcast before, so I'm super excited that you get to pop my cherry. <laughs> <laughs> like you're in a safe space. You're fine. I actually want to start by, because I think it's such a cool story about how you and I even met. Oh, it's so funny. So you can go. You, no, can you oh, tell the story? Look, everything, everything beautiful like this happens. Happens after one or two glasses of red <laughs> wine, and um, I think it started. Um, well, I was thinking of going to Uganda with the Hunger Project, and I think we were Instagram friends, and you know, liking each other's posts, commenting, whatever. And um, I'd seen that you'd been to Malawi the year before. Was it the year before? Yeah. Um, and <laughs> I just, you know, after a glass of two of wine, I'm just, I'm in a Texas chick. And so I, I, I stalked you and I found your number and I texted you and I just said, I'd never do this, but I just wanted to say hi. And well, I can't even remember the text message oh, now. I, I mean, and, it's just like, um, yeah, I never do this. But do you I want, want to go to on a girl down yeah. a date or something? I want to catch up for a coffee. And what's hilarious is I was two glasses of wine in. It's, this is Friday night. I was sitting down to watch a rom-com with my oh husband, my got this text message, and I went, I totally want to go on a girl day with you. <laughs> Let's do this. P.S. I never do this either. P.S. I've never done it since. <laughs> it was fate. It was meant it was to be. so fate. And I've loved every single minute oh. of um, being um, friends with you, Ali. Oh, it's been yeah. divine. <laughs> Absolutely divine. And uh, look, I'm really excited to have you in the studio. And I guess talk about not only your business journey, but also some of your creativity journey and some of the ways that you kind of deal with 
how to keep putting yourself out there in a world that's really, really busy and a lot um, kind of going on. But we were chatting before before the red light went on, before we hit record <laughs> just now, even about the word adventure. And it sounds like that word has, um, I guess, guided you in a lot of ways. How, how has it guided you? I guess, you know, once you left school, uh, what adventures did you step into? Well, I, I, I don't even know how... I got attracted to adventure, but just from a really young age, I just always wanted to travel. I always wanted to do things which were out of my comfort zone. I Even before um, I finished university and went on our big uh, travel to the UK, which I'll talk, to, talk about in a minute, I started a business and was at the Valley Markets, you know, getting up at 4am and doing those really kind of things getting out of my comfort zone. It's just making jewellery, making handbags. And that was sort of one of the starts of of Ruby Olive, I guess. Um, the, the, The vintage days back in the old days. But, you know, when I, I think I was 18, as soon as I started, uh, as soon as I turned 18, I booked a ticket to America. And I wanted to go on a three-month trip where I did a working holiday visa, a working holiday trip where you get this um, holiday, uh, working holiday visa. And went home, told my mum and dad, and they were like, what? (laughs) Why? You're only 18. And it was the best trip of my life. And it just opened my eyes to so many different things. And from then on, all I wanted to do was just push myself and keep doing all these really exciting things and things that make my heart flutter, really. Um, Going on all these journeys, uh, and journey doesn't have to mean, uh, you know, travel, but going on all these journeys where it's, it's enabling me to see a different side of myself or seeing uh, a different side of other people or learning different things and just putting myself out there to experience the world, really. Was that part of your upbringing, do you think? Mm, that was that? I don't think so, no. We, we went to the coast on holidays. We went to New Zealand on a couple of trips, but my mum was a New Zealander, so we, we always did go there. But, yeah, I don't know what it is. I think I've always just been a little bit... Different. Something you were drawn yeah. to. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And what about the creativity side of it? So you, if you were going to the markets of kind of the age of 18 and um, setting all that up, were, were you always kind of creative? Were your parents creative? Yeah. My mum's an art teacher. Okay, right. <laughs> so yeah. she, um, she's, I've always grown up in a very uh, creative environment Um and I've always loved art at school, always did very well at art at school, um, but really loved that uh, correlation between art and business. And I ever since, I remember writing in a journal uh, in someone's yearbook in when I was in grade 10, I think, that I would set up a bag business with this girl when we finished high school. And so ever since that young age, I've always wanted to build, you know, join that creativity and business together. I mean, I never studied business when I was at school. I studied business and marketing when I was at university. But even when I was at university studying business marketing, I did an arts degree in um, media studies, I still didn't feel that I had, like, I had the ability to start a business. And I kind of feel that actually getting out there and actually just starting it was was it more of a learning curve than anything else? Just getting out there, just doing it. The best degree you could have ever best done. Best degree, <laughs> exactly. And all the mistakes I, I, I 
made, probably made up for the university <laughs> degree in terms of the cost, but that's okay. I'm okay with that. Yeah. Mm. So we'll dive into the business in a minute, but you mentioned before about travelling over to the UK. What was the impetus to, um, to head over there? So um, uh, apart from loving adventure and loving travel, um, I had this little business that I was running um, from the market store. I had a few stores that uh, were staking, taking my product. This is while I was at university and I got a bit of money to you know, get my ticket to go to the UK, which I ended up yeah, buying this ticket to go to the UK. But I was like, you know, how can I build this business any more than what I've built it? Because I'm spending all my time making. I can't actually spend any time marketing this product. I can't spend any more time you know, getting myself out there. And so I kind of thought, well, I need to go and find some more experience. I need to work for someone else. And so having the adventure in me, I thought, you know, what, I'm going to go to London and I'm going to get a job because it's so easy to get a job in London, right? And go to the other <laughs> side of the world, right? Just, yeah, exactly. I need to get experience in London. That's I where I need to go. I need to get experience in fashion in London. That's where I will go. And of course, I'm going to be able to do it. Of course, it complete naivety. And I fell flat in my face when I got there. And so what happened when you got there? I It was not hard <laughs> what I expected. And luckily, my partner at the time, who's now my husband, Got he he was a social worker at the time and he got a, a great job working for Westminster City Council and um, and so he was able to thankfully <laughs> fund uh, the fact that I didn't have a job for a long time and you know back then with the US, the exchange rate it was with, expensive oh my gosh so we had saved and saved and saved and saved and all of a sudden. Our money was gone. It was so heartbreaking. And so it really forced me to um, get another, like, find any old, any job. And um, I ended up doing temping and found um, a job working for a travel magazine. So I worked at this travel magazine uh, for a couple of years um, in their sales and marketing um, area, selling advertising space. Hated it because I hated picking up the phone. But actually doing that, looking back, was the best experience that I could ever have because it forced me to do something I didn't want to do and now I'm not fearful of picking up the phone and, and you know, cold calling or um, speaking to someone that I don't want to speak to. It sort of, you know, smashed my fear on that, which... Mm. Or sending someone a text message yeah. on a Friday. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah. So all the waves exactly, going. Exactly. <laughs> so yeah, and then eventually I did um, get a job in the fashion industry, and um, that ended up being a phenomenal experience. Um, I just worked my little butt off, and what just, was the job? So I worked. I uh, got a job, very very entry level, so li- like ridiculously little pay. I went from um, I think it was a ten thousand thousand pound pay drop from working in publishing to um, working as a sales assistant for a wholesale fashion company. And then very quickly, I sort of worked into product development for the accessories and then very quickly sort of moved into proper product development where I was um, travelling to China, Hong Kong, India, and then ended up getting a role as a buyer for a high street retailer looking after $8 million of product. And I is I had that whole case of fake it till you make it, man. <laughs> like, I had no idea what I was doing, um, but just sort of held my own. And, and um, when I went into the office, I was looked the part and spoke the part. And when I came home, I just literally got out those books and read as much as I could and tried to learn, learn, learn as much as I could because I knew that this is what I wanted to do. So, Yeah. Was there anything surprised you about stepping into that role? 
about um, getting into the design and fashion industry? A lot of things actually surprised me, but I think the biggest thing that surprised me was that I could do it. And I honestly, you know, when it's such a big jump from here, here at the bottom to the top, you just think, how on earth am I ever going to be there? It's so, so hard. Um, but yeah, I managed to do it and I managed to do it reasonably well, I think. And it it was, yeah, I mean, I learned a lot about the fashion industry, which was phenomenal and I didn't actually expect I'd learn as much as I did about um, suppliers, um, treating suppliers, um, sustainably sourcing suppliers, all those sorts of things which now I'm very passionate about. Um, but, yeah, that was that was, was amazing actually, amazing experience. Did you um, ever have thoughts of kind of staying in London and, and keep pursuing down that path or was there a time where you went, no, it's time to come home to Australia and um, yeah. get back into work here? Look, I, I think I could have probably stayed for another year but, you know, the weather gets to you and we'd been there for eight years then. And my husband was ready to come home. He'd just been studying four years, master's four years, so he was exhausted. You know, I had my um, family over here, which were, you know, we'd been away for a long time. He kept on saying, we're only going for a year. We're only going for another year. We're only going for another year. And so one year turned into two, which turned into three. And so I think they were kind of sick of it. They really wanted us home. And um, not that that's why we came home at all. Um, They were very happy that we were living the life that we wanted to live. But um, I think we got to our 30s and we were like, you know, our next adventure needs to start. And we wanted to get married. We wanted to have kids and we wanted to settle. Um, and so yeah, we decided to leave. Um, I'd, I'd felt like I'd got some really good experience. Um, same with Michael, my husband. And we just decided to, yeah, pack our bags and come home. Brought far too much home. My gosh, when you <laughs> pack up those bags and you bring them home, you think, why on earth did I bring this crap? But Because um, <laughs> <laughs> you don't quite know those, uh, those feather jackets like you do in Brisbane. Completely. <laughs> I, went, I did a really big decal, actually, a couple of weeks ago, and I found like seven pairs of leather gloves. <laughs> oh, my why do I need seven pairs of leather gloves? I don't even know what to do with them now. But, um, yes, yeah, so we moved home. We travelled um, for three months on our way home and that was pretty amazing. I mean, really, when do you have an opportunity to travel for three months? India, Africa, Eastern Europe, it was, it was phenomenal. Like, it was really amazing. And I can remember vividly after, you know, the first couple of weeks just thinking about work still and then gradually stopping thinking about work. And then in our last month, we were in the Serengeti, underneath the stars, camping. You can hear hyenas and everything in the background <laughs> and kind of a little bit, yeah, are we going to survive the night? Um, but, yeah, writing my business plan or in my travel journey in the back, very, very sketchy, and just thinking what do I want my life to look like now? What do I want my a next adventure to be. And that's sort of how Ruby Olive began, uh, just sort of sketching all those things. And at the start, I called it something different because I didn't, like a Ruby Olive, I didn't think it sort of, I didn't think it was quite right or maybe I hadn't actually come up with that yet. But What was the other name that you had? <laughs> 
Delphi Bell. Right. <laughs> Delphi Bell. <laughs> Which, no, it's no, no. But I didn't know what the business was going to look like in yeah. terms of products or anything and like so that. And so what was that choice then to, to shift it and go to well, Ruby Olive? How did that come about? I really want it to be something meaningful. So I really wanted it to be a business that a business name that meant a lot to me and Ruby Olive is my grandma. So, and it's two colours. It's Ruby and it's Olive, which I wanted it to be a business which is all about vibrancy and colour and living colourfully, whether that means, you know, living colourfully with colour or living colourfully in terms of zestfully and vibrantly. So, Does that sum up who your grandma is? I'd like to say yes. <laughs> Can I say I'd like to say yes? She's beautiful. She's absolutely beautiful. But she's she's a dairy farmer's wife, and yeah. she loves Royal Dalton and you know flowers. And I mean, she's a woman, a product of her yeah. age. You know, yeah. she's still alive. She's eighty three now. And yeah. does she love that her name's been immortalised? Well, in this or is she? What's her take oh, on that? Look. I, I send her postcards and I send her stuff and uh, she's got a little bit of dementia now and so she doesn't really quite okay. understand. I, I sent her, you know, newspaper articles and things and just, that's nice, dear. And I think one time her sister laughed at her um, saying, oh, yeah, as if kind of thing, as if someone would name a business after you. And so I think that's sort of, it's yeah, it's made her think that that's, Oh, oh, it mustn't be a very big, big business then. Oh, no, no, it's not a big deal. Mm. So it's a bit sad, really, because yeah. I really want her to know that how much she means to me. And then I have named my business after her. But, yeah. yeah. Part of that story that you can keep sharing with your kids mm. and, uh, and even with, with the customers, because it's a beautiful, beautiful story. So Ruby Olive, um, you make gorgeous, vibrant, colourful um, pieces, so earrings, necklaces, bangles, um, and I'm often seen wearing <laughs> one, of your, um, one of your pieces. And you know, a big part of that is, is really unleashing your own creativity, um, which often you know, we kind of associate with art and, and making and those sorts of things. How important do you think creativity is for everyone, not just you know, in the fashion design industry that you're in? I, I honestly think everyone's got creativity inside of them and I think it's important for everyone to sort of dial into that in some form of the other because it's so... It's so it, it it's so inspiring to be able to create something or have an idea or come up with an innovation that someone may find interesting or um, you know it could change something or even something so little as um, you know creating a spray that you know makes your son's pee smell better when it's around the toilet seat or you know, <laughs> something like missing. that you yeah. know or you know coming up with a really um creative way to get to work which is going to save you 5 minutes of time um just little creative ways that can change you know make you feel a little bit happier that you've come up with something or uh, change the, your day or i just think creativity a lot of people think that creativity is just artistic ability, but it's it's so not, and it, it it can be so many different things. I mean, it's really just coming up with new ideas and and coming up with uh, new stories or innovating things, and you know, it may just be signing up for a 
one-hour creative writing session at the local library for free or whatever. And I just think it's it does something to your heart, I think. It makes your heart flutter a little bit. What do you think gets in the way of people expressing their creativity? I, I kind of think it has something to do with the stories that they tell themselves as they're growing up or the stories that people have said, oh, you don't have a creative bone in your body. And so then that sort of leads to, oh, I don't have a creative bone in my body. I'm not creative. I can't be creative because I've been told I'm not creative. And so maybe it's that inner talking Perhaps. I mean, I'm, I don't know. I'm not the psychologist. <laughs> <laughs> but I think I, I, I think that it, that could be, you know, possibly where it stems from, people not believing that they have that creativity inside of them. Do you, for you personally, do you find that you have to step into like a creative zone? Are there ever times where you have like a creativity block um, where you've sat down to, you know, whether it's design a new piece or come up with a new uh, marketing for um, pieces that you've already created and just feel like you can't can't all, get creative? All the time. <laughs> yeah. so what do yeah. you do? Yeah. What's, what's, what do you um, do? And I think it's different at different times. It's probably different for different people too. But um, going for a walk always helps because I find that when I'm like that, where I can't come up with new ideas, whether it's marketing campaigns or um, create, you know, coming up with new designs, it's normally when I'm in a rut and it's normally when I'm sort of really overwhelmed with stuff. I've got a lot going on with the kids or I've got a lot going on with work and I can't make sense of anything because there's just so much crap in my head. Mm. And I think going, it's the whole thing that you talk about in your book, you know, just um, just to take a step back and to go for a walk or, you know, take some time out um, just to breathe really and um, just sort of think about what are the things that are really important and, and then start thinking about all those things that you need to do. Um, one of which is designing your collection. And is that really important for this week? Do I have to really do it this week or do I need to get all those other things done this week? And maybe it's a case of me just saying, okay, I'm not even going to think about this this week. Maybe that's going to be next week and I'm going to focus on these things. And more often than not, when I give myself permission to not think about those things, that's when my mind goes, oh, I want to think about that thing now. And, and that's what I've come up Sneaky with. Sneaky in the shower, best <laughs> yeah. idea ever. Yeah, exactly. Do you yeah. have a bit of a creativity ritual or routine? No, I don't. I'd love to say yes, but... Um, Two young kids don't help yeah. in that piece, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, it's our morning routine <laughs> where I just kind of do nothing. Yeah, yeah exactly. No. no. Um, look, I like visiting all my artisans and I find when I visit them and I can talk them through how things are made and I can sit with them when they make things, I, I feel like that's when my creative creativity really comes to life because I can actually work with them in real time to make things happen. You know, the whole idea of sitting down, sketching something, giving them to them, mate, they make it. It's all beautiful. It's all very well. But actually sitting with them, making it with them, uh, playing around, it's it's majority of the time the first design that you make is not the design you, come, you end with. It's this evolution of design 
of creativity, of, of innovation. You come up with one design and you think, oh, I wonder what it would look like with one little silver bead there. I wonder what it would look like with a little ribbon. I wonder what it would look like a little bit longer. And so it's this com- constant evolution of products, which is what I... I really get a kick out of. So getting messy, getting involved. Yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely. So your, um, your artisans are based over in the Philippines? A lot of them, yeah, yeah. most of them actually, yeah, and I love so, visiting them. Because I know you're um, really passionate about, you know, getting sustainable product um, and, and supporting kind of communities in in the way that they do their work. Where does that come from? No, I think it actually comes from just my love of travel and I do have a real strong sense of, I I do love anthropology. And when I worked um, in the UK, traveling around to a lot of factories, I actually did see a lot of things that you can't unsee and that you you actually wish didn't happen. The way people are treated and, you know, some, just some things which weren't, which in my head weren't right. And so I kind of took away from that, that I don't want to have a business like that. I want to have a business that I know how things are made and I know I've got integrity to put my name on that product to say that that is made in a way which I am happy with. And that's that, yeah, I think that really is important to me, definitely. Was that hard to set it up? that way or did that kind of come pretty easily to be able to go, okay, I'm going to work and find artisans and ways? It is. Yeah, it is quite hard actually. It is um, difficult but there's, yeah, I think because of my um, uh, work in the UK, it has actually led me to work out, okay, what is sustainably sourced, what is... um, okay and what is not okay and working out um, sort of, I guess, key checklists to look out for when I'm finding new suppliers. And it also helped that I used to work with 150 different suppliers around the world. So I could actually pick a few or some people have, some of those have told me about others. And so that was really, really helpful um, having that, you know, I guess, I guess inside knowledge. I mean, it would be so difficult now if I didn't have that knowledge. Yeah, to be able to know where to go and yeah, what decisions. very, very um, difficult. Because you, I mean, yeah, not only knowing where and how things are made is really important to you, but that there's this kind of, that businesses are moving towards having what you call purposeful profit. Mm. Um, and I, I think it's actually something not only is the community and customers requesting that and requiring that of organisations, but I actually think it's also um, employees and people who are part of businesses, that's what they're they're kind of craving and looking mm. for as well. Um, are you finding these are conversations that you're having more often with other business people um, around how do we how do we get a, a sense of purpose in the way that we're making profit? You know, I wish I was having this conversation more. Um, sadly, I'm not. But you know, it's all about getting that conversation starting started and having more of those conversations because. What do you wish that people were talking about more? Well, just that. People talk about making profit and bottom line and profit and all those sorts of things. But actually, if they talk about when they make that profit, what they're going to do with that profit, and a lot of the time making making money, and if you can actually make some money for some organisations that possibly need that money, those people are going to support you back, which is actually going to grow your business 
more because of your ethos and because of it's like this cycle. And so I kind of I kind of think that a lot of these big businesses, or not even big big, big businesses, just businesses, they just uh, they're thinking with their own pocket rather than thinking about how can they support their community in order for their community to help them. Because why would someone go to someone if 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 it's a one way street? You know, it needs to be a two-way street and, and that's how they're going to get loyalty and, and that's how customers are going to keep coming back to them because it's this this it's just, it's this community that they're trying to create and the, the supporting their community, which I think is really important. Getting away from it being a mutually exclusive, either we're here for the community or we're here to make a profit. Exactly. That those two yeah. can come together. Exactly. And really, the more profit that I can make, the more I can do a, do more good in the world. That's how I see it. And so, you know, I, I'm really driven to create a profitable business so that I can make more of a difference, really. I love that you also talk a bit about um, creating pieces with stories, that products that have a soul, so to speak. Do you, um, and imagine particularly with the pieces that you create, that you have seen that design journey where you've actually come up with a concept um, while you're in the shower or wherever you've gone <laughs> out for your walk, um, drawn the picture, you know, sat down with the artisans, put, put the, you know, the silver ball or had a play with how it comes about. Um, do they have a story? Like do you personally feel connected with with the pieces when you see them um, at the end? A hundred percent. They all have a story. And I know it's really, it's so, so difficult to translate that story into the little tiny description you have on the website or the catalogue. It's so hard. And, but I, they all have a story to me. They all have a little, I call them my babies because they all are like little babies. Some of them are better than others. You know, they're not like children where you, you can't choose a favourite. I certainly do have favourite babies. Um, but, um, what's your favourite? I'm going to find well, there's this. Oh, I've got lots of favourites. Is there but, one story that stands out to you? I guess. Well, I mean, I guess the um, there's a couple. I'll tell you two. One of them is the Sahara collection, which actually was inspired by when I dreamt up my business in the Sahara Desert. So it's really it has the colours of um, the the desert sky, like that deep blue sky at, at sort of dusk or um, sunset, sort of that really deep blue sky. It's got that green um, for the, the, the almost not, they're not cactus. They're kind of these plants, which are desert sort of plants. Um, the green of that, the sandy coloured um, sand landscape, landscape yeah. um, with the, the red rocks and, and it, it just really feels right to me, that collection. And funnily enough, that collection did really well, I think, because I had a lot of my heart into it. Um, the other one which stands out to me is last year, I think I spoke um, about creativity before, um, we did a Be The Designer campaign and we had all these people of our beautiful customers um, send in designs. We brought one into production, which was the competition. And the person that actually um, won that um, competition, Vicky, she just did a beautiful job designing it and what we came up with um, I think was so beautiful and the fact that it had this story where she designed it, we put it into production, we you know, I, we had lots of different versions of it because it was a little bit tricky to actually 
create, um, which is fine, you know, we're happy to keep going back and back and trying it. Um, so we went to our community, what do you think of this one, what do you think of this one? And we ended up with this beautiful necklace, which sold out straight away and $5 from every necklace went to support her charity, which was the Freedom Hub, which I had never heard of the Freedom Hub and being introduced, it just was amazing. They support women that have been in um, sort of uh, in the sex slave industry in Australia. So they've been um, brought from Colombia. uh, Cambodia or Laos into Australia. I mean, this stuff happens. It's crazy. This stuff actually happens in Australia. It's so sad. But this charity is supporting these women and they're supporting them with uh, education and um, they've got this cafe in Sydney where they, all the funds go towards this um, helping these women. And I was so proud to give $5 from every necklace to this charity and um, I just think that's such a beautiful story. It's a gorgeous story, yeah. and as you say, it's the part of the conversation that we don't we don't often hear about. Um, but not only the connection to one of your customers designing mm, the piece, but I love then it. being able to support a charity that that she's so passionate about, absolutely, and, and giving it a platform to talk about it even more and more. I love it. It's really powerful. Mm. So back in two thousand and fourteen. Uh, you were awarded the Queensland Telstra Young Business Women's Award, uh, which is a huge honour and a big part of, you know, I, I think where your business had had gotten to to be recognised on that stage. What was that moment like when you heard your name called out um, as the winner? Obviously, it was amazing. <laughs> it was amazing. But, you know, for ages I, I had that whole imposter syndrome. I seriously was like, how do I deserve this? No, I don't deserve this. There's all these amazing women who were up there that are earning more money than me, that have a bigger business than me, that, you know, I could, you know, carry all these different reasons why they were better than me. And they weren't up there and I was. Like, what was that about? I I didn't, it took me a long time to grapple with that. And, yeah, obviously it was amazing and it was, yeah, Amazing! I didn't expect it at all, but that whole imposter syndrome seriously exists. Do you still have some of those kind of doubts, or oh. is that platform sort of helped you actually go, "No, this is okay." Yeah, I think it really has, and it's sort of made me stand up tall a little bit and really step into the role as designer, because before. I never considered myself a designer. I was because I never studied design. I studied marketing. I never. I did product development when I was in the UK, and yes, I did do some design, but I never considered myself a designer. And so, I never considered myself an entrepreneur. I never considered myself a designer. So when people are telling you, "Oh, you're you're one of Queensland's top forty entrepreneurs under forty," I'm like, "Hang on." <laughs> this is a bit weird. Or, you know, Ruby Olive's a designer and owner. I'm like, this is a bit weird. So I think it's just, it's, you just have to own it. And I think it's taught me just to step up and just own it. Because if I don't believe in myself, how are other people going to believe in myself? And that is, sorry, other people going to believe in me. So that has taken a long time to actually realise and grapple with. But, and I still, you know, I still deal with it. Um, but it, I think it's getting easier. Now. If you could go back, even pre, um, you know, putting in your application for the award, um, the new you now, 
What would you say to to that version of you that was probably deep into that imposter syndrome? I think so, I think what I said was probably all fine and good, but I think I just needed to say it with a bit more conviction, like just saying it like I really meant it, which I I did mean it, but I didn't really believe it, if that makes sense. Um, to wear it like a cape to yeah, really back yourself to exactly like, like I am a designer. Yeah, thank you very much. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And really believe in yourself, in myself, and really own it, which is hard to do. You know, it is hard to do. And so I think I'm definitely owning it a lot more now. And it's been really good to own it. And I can see the benefits of my business owning it and believing it in myself a lot more. Yeah, if you bring the energy, then yeah. people kind of jump yeah. on board exactly. with that as well. What's um what's the next piece of the the puzzle for for Ruby Olive, but also for for you stepping into I guess designer space, leader space, yeah. business space? What's oh next? look, um, my book's always open, so I'm always open for new exciting ideas and challenges, new adventures. Um, but I think the big thing for this next year, for me personally, is just to focus, just take it easy a little bit and just not be so crazy. Last year was a really, really busy, crazy year. And I think I just want to take a step back and not try really hard not to be so crazy, crazy busy. And I guess in a Ruby Olive front, I really want to try and collaborate with some really amazing women. A bit like what we did with the Be The Designer campaign with Vicky and supporting her charity. I really want to find some really cool, interesting women and not necessarily do a competition, but although we are going to do a competition as well, but just see how we can tell their story in the way of a necklace, which I think, or a bangle or a pair of earrings or whatever, or a collection. Um, so just creating a story and helping tell their story, but also in a really fun, quirky, unusual way and hopefully supporting them and supporting their chosen charity as well. It's really interesting. How are you going to unpack that? Just getting connecting with customers and (laughs) yeah, I love it. Yeah. Oh, watch this space. Uh, We we don't know yet, but I I just think I love the concept and um, I'm sure we can make it happen somehow. Yeah. Yeah. So if you want your story embodied in necklace form, get in touch with Sky and we'll see how that comes together. I love it. You've also, and you were saying last year was a crazy, crazy busy year. One of the things you did do was actually launch over in the US, take um, take your products over there. Um, What was the decision behind doing that? Yeah, I think it was it was just a really big market and we started getting a couple of orders from America from customers um, just randomly and they sort of grew. We started getting more and more customers from the UK and so we thought, well, obviously there's a market there and we had a couple of customers which were really good customers that used to tell us, you know, where can I buy, you know, your stuff in the States? I love it, I love it, I love it. So we thought, okay, well... I love a bit of an adventure, as you know, (laughs) a bit of a challenge. Get me on a plane, (laughs) I'll be there. (laughs) Exactly. So, um, yeah, I did something I never expected I'd do. I did um, my first 
trade fair on my own with Ruby Olive. I've never done a trade fair in Australia, which is bizarre, I know, although I do sell wholesale. Um, but I, yeah, I went to the New York trade fair um which is a wholesale trade fair where all the buyers from all the amazing stores go. And we didn't get a great spot because we were, it was our first time, we were international, they don't really prioritise it. Um, people like us. But look, just to have a presence there was pretty amazing. And we um, we got snapped up by some amazing um, stores. And actually, what surprised me is that we are now in... Um, the Chicago Arts Institute, the Dallas um, Museum of Modern Art, um, the San Francisco MoMA, I can't even speak, um, uh, an art gallery in New York, um, art gallery in, uh, amazing art gallery actually in Washington. We're in art galleries all over the States and which is phenomenal. Um, We're in a couple of uh, lifestyle stores as well, but um, I I was taken back and we had the Smithsonian Arts Institute uh, the buy for the Smithsonian Art Institute or Scientific Art Institute. Um, really, really amazed and uh, just absolutely loved the range, but, um, you know, wanted to wait until we had distribution in the States. Um, so, yeah, that's definitely an avenue which we're going to pursue. Um, we're going to do it sort of slowly, slowly. Again, that whole thing of uh, just t- taking a couple of steps back and and focusing this year. But Definitely, it's a, an area which we're, we're so. I'm so pleased we took that leap and and did it. I mean, it was uh, my heart was seriously racing. <laughs> I bet, I bet. That's courageous to kind of really, yeah, put yourself out there and and this may well fail, right? Yeah, this is what yeah. you're going over and spending so much money. Yeah, which I didn't actually expect it to be as much as what it was, but um, it was is definitely worth it, and I'm so glad we did it. Um, I loved it. Is that an area you'll continue to um, invest in or will, is that something at the moment that's just kind of ticking over and, and yeah, you're in those places yeah. and see where that, yeah. that leads to? Well, I've definitely, we're going to tick it along and um, we're not sure... I'm not, I'm not 100% sure whether we're going to spend a huge amount of money in it yet, purely because of a cash flow point of view. Um, but definitely we want to have it ticking along there and we're going to keep connected with all the buyers that we've got. Um, and there, we keep getting orders, reorders from them. So they love that they've got a product which can't be found everywhere as well. And it's like a little gem. Um, and they love that the price point is great for them because the US dollar against the AU dollar at the moment is awesome for them. Not so great for us, no. but <laughs> awesome for them. And yeah. so they, they're loving it. They think it's great. So yeah, watch this space. Keep that ticking mm. over and, and yeah, see what happens. Mm. It's exciting to launch yeah. launch those stories and have them spread a, spread across mm. the world in, in so many ways. Um, what, uh, in terms of what's next for you, you were saying this year is about how you are going to be more focused personally, how are you going to push back the busyness that no doubt will come this year with whether it's new ideas, whether it's exciting adventures or whether it's just the grind of work? What are the three things that you're going to bring yourself back to to focus on, to help you to feel Mm. focused, to help you to stay creative when it's such a big part of the work that you do? I need to focus on saying no. 
Like that's a really big A one. little bit louder than that. <laughs> <laughs> I need to focus no. on saying no, 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 no. What no. things are you going to say no oh, to? Oh, I, I just, I say yes to a lot of things and... And, and purely because I really want to do them. Um, but, you know, when you've got so many things that you're saying yes to, it does mean that you're not able to spend as much time with the people that really matter to you, your family. Um, and obviously the people you're saying yes to matter as well. But, you know, you're, you're playing this, this heart juggle, you know. It's and just, I think that's one of the hardest things. I was only actually last night reading... So Tim Ferriss's book, yep. Tool of the Titans, which is just everywhere. Um, Next and to your book. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, and it's one of those books you can just pick up any page. And you, last night I was reading that page about that and, and he sort of talks about the art of um, the hell yeah. Mm. And, and unless it's a yes, absolutely, and he describes it, he said, yeah same as you were talking about. I I get so many requests and I want to go and play because they're really cool things. Mm. And I've realised I kept saying yes to all these little cool things. It's not that they were even things that I didn't like or not enjoy. They were really, really cool, but they were distracting me from and and just left me exhausted from actually the things that were my big hell yeah. Um, So, yeah, it's not not uncommon, I think, to get Mm. distracted by the little cool things. So you're going to say no. What else? I'm going to say no. I really want to try and get into some morning habitual routines. Um, I'm pretty bad in the mornings um, because I'm not I'm not really a morning person. My husband and my kids wake up between five and six, but I normally wake up anywhere between 6.30 and 7. And like I love, we have breakfast together as a family and all those sorts of things, but I find that I need to go to bed earlier and I need to wake up earlier so I can spend number one more time with them. But then I can go and do my yoga. I can go and do my swimming. I can do, do all those things that actually make me feel better and that actually make me feel a lot grounded and just, just they make me function a lot better. You know, that whole movement, but just being able to do these things for your mind as well. I think that's a huge big thing. Um, and, and you're right, the key is going to bed early. I, I've, I've, I've so never hard. been able to go to bed early, mm. but I need to force myself to do it. I need to really do it. Um, I gave up coffee a year and a half ago because I thought that would help me going to bed late, which did help. And now I go to bed about an hour and a half earlier, but I still go to bed about 10, 30, 11, sometimes 11.30. So it's, it's, it is a problem that I need to deal with, but it's it's... I've been doing that since I was at school. So it's just something that I need to just get out of because I do feel much better when I go to bed early and wake up early. So that's a really big thing I'm going to work towards this year, focus on my morning routine and going to bed early. So that's number two. And number three, uh, um, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> just do those I'm, two. Just do those two. But, um, saying no, go to bed early. Saying no, go to bed early. And uh, just the whole focus, just really keep on coming back to focus. What is it that I'm, I need to focus on this week? Because my year, you know, you have your words of the year. Mm-hmm. I have my mind's focus. Mm-hmm. And so it's, uh, I just need to focus. I need to focus on what's important because I have that syndrome called bright, shiny light syndrome. (laughs) (laughs) And I like to see things and, and sort of, oh, that looks nice. I'll give that a go. Or, and so I need to sort of 
just focus. I need to focus on what really matters. So, yeah, that's my number three. It's focus almost on um, focus. It's almost doing that first and then if the, then if you've got time for the shiny things and totally go for it. Yeah. But it's not that the shiny things are then coming at a cost at that's it. that other stuff yeah. as yeah. well. Um, cool. Going to bed early. <laughs> Saying no. <laughs> finding focus. the things that focus. And yeah. I reckon what underpins almost going back even to the start of this conversation is where's the adventure in all of that? And uh, and finding that kind of excitement in okay cool what's, what's the adventure of, of focus and how would that be well that I mean f- focus for example in the whole adventure thing is my husband and I really want to go and spend more time down the coast and so we have said to each other that we need to ensure that once every fortnight we need to spend a day down the coast. And that's our focus to make sure that all the washing, all that crap stuff is all done so we can spend a day down the coast. Perfect. So it's, I guess it's focused in not just in a business sense, in a personal sense as well, to ensure that we are living the life we want to live. And it, a lot of it is this whole breaking this habit or this creating a habit, creating a new habit of doing these things so we can you know, not get to the end of the year and say, I wish we did this. Oh, we were too busy. You know, we had too much on. You know, I really wanted to do this every weekend, but we didn't. So give yourself permission to schedule it in mm. and, and do it. I yeah. love that. Come down the coast, come and hang with yeah. me more often. So good. <laughs> so to come full circle, the name of this podcast is called Stand Out Life. So when I, I guess, um, say that term, what does it mean to you to live a standout life? I think it just means to live a life that's true to yourself in the best possible way you can. So living, yeah, the way you want to live, um, treating people in the way that they would like to be treated and the way you would like to be treated, um, doing things to the best of your ability. I think that's it in a nutshell. And here's to the next adventure. <laughs> Thank you so much, Sky. It's been great to chat. Pleasure. Thank you, Ellie. If you've enjoyed today's episode, then there's every chance that you might also enjoy reading a copy of my book called Stand Out, a real-world guide to get clear, find purpose and become the boss of busy. You can grab a copy by heading to my website, www.alisonhill.com.au. If you liked what you heard in this episode, I'd love it if you could take a few moments, pop over to iTunes and give this podcast a quick rating so that we can continue to share these conversations with people around the world. As always, I'm Ali Hill and this is Standout Life.